gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And this week, we're very happy to have Randy Greenwald with us. And he has a new book, Something Worth Living For, Understanding God, the World, and Yourself Using the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is really going to be an excellent book for a lot. I know a lot of our listeners that are new to Reformed Theology, looking for kind of an introduction to the catechisms. This is it. This is this is that book. So before we get started, I wanted to mention a few things. First, if you would like to support the work we're doing, you can support us with a few dollars a month uh, on Patreon, and I will link that in both the episode notes, and it's also on our website. You can also give a one-time donation on PayPal, and I'll have that information on both places also. Then we do have Theology Gals merch, t-shirts, uh, short sleeve, long sleeve, all sorts of different styles and mugs and um, some other products. And then also, if you haven't checked out our series of books, we have Bible reading and prayer journals, and then also scripture and catechism memory books, and sermon notes notebooks, including two different ones for children, for very young children, and then probably middle elementary school. So all of that will be linked on our episode notes, and you can find all those things on our website. Could you... Uh, share just a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book. Wow. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just chuckling over the little bit. Um, so let me try my best here. Um, no, I, I'm, I grew up outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, went to Michigan State University, was a seventh grade English teacher for three years subsequent to that, after which my wife and I Moved to St. Louis, Missouri, attended Covenant Seminary there, and then we were called to pastor a church in Bradenton, Florida, which is on the Florida's Gulf Coast, a beautiful area. 
And I pastored that church for 25 years. And then 10 years ago, I moved to Oviedo, Florida, which is outside of Orlando. And I've been a pastor here for 10 years. Um, I am married. Um, we have six children and uh, a whole bunch of grandchildren. I think at latest count, it was 16. And um, so, yeah, why I wrote the book, that's, a, that's the big question. Um, because there were immediate causes, um, and but there were general causes. The, the general motivations were, I love the shorter catechism. I love how it gives complete and full explanation of the essential nature of our Christian faith, and does so in a, such a beautiful way. And I felt for a long time that there needed to be a, a more contemporary, accessible um, book to help people gain access to it. And and but I couldn't find anybody else who would write it. I actually suggested it to a number of people. But the more immediate uh, cause was meeting with a, a, a young man named Tarek. Uh, Tarek was a recent graduate of the University of Central Florida, which is nearby here. And and he was going to be married soon. His fiance had given him a a book of introductory theology. Um, and so he and I, as we were meeting for coffee, decided, um, let's study it together. Um, I'd been looking for an opportunity and a, and a way to kind of help him understand his faith a little deeper. And so we read the first chapter and met again over coffee and both looked at each other and said, this isn't it. Um, it just didn't connect with him or with me. And um, so that's when I finally decided just to sit down and write something that I think would be suitable for such a, a context. And uh, that's what I did. I wanted to just quickly follow up with that. Uh, the title, Something Worth Living For. <laughs> uh, titles are always interesting. So why did you pick that as your title? What is What are you trying to get across? Well, yeah, titles are often multi-layered as well, mm. as you know. Um, you know, my... <laughs> The intention is the really spins off the first question and answer of the shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? And by the way, I do clarify in the introduction of the book that, you know, to a 16th century or 17th century author, man really did mean male and female. And uh, so, you know, I want to underscore that. Um, but, uh, you know, what the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you know, that's our purpose. That's a biblical purpose for why we live, why we get up in the morning. Um, but the title itself comes from that scene in The Princess Bride where Miracle Max is, uh, is uh, assessing uh, the, the condition of, of Wesley um, and discerns that he's, uh, what, he's, he's not all dead. He's only mostly dead. And he shouts at him and said, what you got that's worth living for? Hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think that's the question that I, many of us, we, we all come up with some kind of answer for that question. And, um, and so it just seemed like an appropriate, um, what should I say, framework uh, upon which to build this, build this book. Um, you know, the gospel and Christ, our God, is the reason we have worth that is worth living. That's a great answer. And of course, I love Princess Bride. So it's wonderful to have that uh, any body on the any guest to work that into the podcast about theology. Yeah, well, it's great. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I've told people I've told people in my church that, you know, if you want to understand any of my illustrations, all you need to do is go watch The Princess Bride a couple of times and we'll be on the same same wavelength. Hey, my dad did the the my dad's a pastor and he mm-hmm. uh on our rehearsal uh wedding rehearsal, oh. he did the Mowage speech <laughs> to kick it off. Well, I did that for my son as well. See? That's great. <laughs> so what is the West- Westminster Shorter Catechism? Um, and can you give some history and background for someone who might not be familiar? Sure. You know, the the time of the Protestant Reformation, which we might uh, easily track from the time of Martin Luther, um, was a time in Europe where you know, the, the, you know, those churches that were um, struggling with their relationship with the church in Rome, and many of them were Christians, formed of Christians who were uh, kicked out of the Roman Catholic Church at the time, were nevertheless trying to give definition to what, you know, the faith they shared. Scriptures speak of sound doctrine as if there's a, you know, there is this faith, as Jude puts it, that has been delivered to us. And there was a, a through through for the hundred or so years um, following Luther, there was an attempt to give expression to what that essential nature of our Christian faith is. Um, in England, that culminated in the uh, you know early you know, the you know third you know, one the third early third of the sixteen um, hundreds uh, with an assembly being called of uh, of pastors and scholars to try to give definition to that Christian faith that would be specifically the way the English church would understand it. The product of that assembly, which um, met over several years, were, were, were largely three that we use extensively today, the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, and then the larger catechism and a shorter catechism. Now, a catechism is simply a teaching tool. Um, you know, the analogy that I use in the book that came to me is we teach our children to remember the ABCs by teaching them a song. Um, and so by that song, that um, uh, th- th- those, those ideas are formed into their, into their minds and heads in a simple way. Uh, catechisms were popular as a part of the uh, Reformation as teaching tools where um, questions and answers were questions were proposed and answers were encouraged to be memorized um, so that the person trying to understand his faith would would have easily um, should I say digestible and accessible um, ways of expressing that and and uh, so the you know as I already alluded to the first question is what is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so extending through 107 questions and answers like that, uh, the catechism um, addresses what we are to believe concerning God, what our essential theological convictions are, and what kinds of responsibilities flow out of that, what duty God requires of us. Uh, Particularly, um, it gives an exposition of the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, and uh, um, both of which are uh, very ex- extremely helpful as we try to navigate living a life, um, no matter what age it is. So this document, produced you know, in the 1640s, um, 
has been preserved largely in Reformed and Presbyterian churches um, in Scotland and then into the United States. Um, but I think its beauty is that it really is more of a, a general statement of our historic Christian faith. And in that way, it's something I think that is useful for any Christian, uh, whether he or she considers himself Reformed or not. One thing I'm really appreciated about the book and why I think it'll be helpful to many is just very practical. And I think sometimes people don't realize how practical it is to our everyday lives. And, you know, I remember when I was kind of newly learning Reformed theology, and I'd kind of embraced Calvinism, but then I uh, started listening to the White Horse Inn, mm-hmm. ended up at a RPCNA, and I hear about this catechism. Of course, I'm at 20, 21 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, isn't that Catholic? You know, and <laughs> and periodically we get someone in the group that, well, I just believe the Bible, you know. Right, right. So, why is it important for us to study the catechism? And how would you, and also part of that, how would you respond to the people that are like, well, I just want to believe the Bible. Isn't the Bible of most importance, not this catechism stuff? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of answers to that. I think my, my preferred answer is to say that every one of us needs teachers. And in a certain sense, a catechism or a confession preserves the teaching um, of our heritage. Um, it is sort of a, you know, I, I think of um, the Ethiopian eunuch traveling through the desert, and he just has a Bible. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And yet God sends Philip to him, and, and the, the eunuch says, you know, and then Philip says, what are you reading? And, 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 the, and the guy said, tells him, and, and uh, but he says, how am I supposed to understand it without a teacher? Um, to me, the creeds and confessions and catechisms of the church uh, exist as teachers. Um, they also serve sort of as guideposts. Um, um, you know, the Christian faith is not something that was was discovered yesterday. Um, it has been, um, you know, wise individuals, wise people, and 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 deeply devotional people have studied um, the scriptures uh, for millennia. And I think a catechism or a confession provides some, what should I say, boundaries, um, so that if I'm, you know, if I'm trying to understand something about the nature of God, uh, we have the 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 confessions and the and the uh, and, and the catechisms, these these teachers and boundaries from the past, telling us, you know, about the Trinity. But what we are, you know, what it does say and what it doesn't say, and that protects us from the the, the fallibility of our own. Uh, minds um, running off into uh, dangerous error. Um, so I think it's I think they're they're critical. Uh, we we don't none of us interprets the scriptures in a in a vacuum or a void. Uh, we need trusted people to to take our hands and guide us through that. And the catechism links us together with trusted individuals extending back two thousand years. I don't know if that would help someone, but that's that's no, my it does. That's a <laughs> that's a good answer. So, who should study the catechism? Is it just for kids? Oh. Is it something only for adults? Yeah. Who yeah. should study the catechism? 
That's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think it's important for all of us, um, and for for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I, I I've been a pastor for thirty five years, um, but it's important for me to come back to these truths and revisit them in their basic and essential formulation. Um, just to be renewed in my understanding of the gospel. Um, you know, that's my my other reflection on this shorter catechism is it's a document of theology, but it ex- it unfolds the gospel for us. It unfolds what Christ has done and how we respond to that. It unfolds how we are brought into his family and how we are sustained there. Um, I... Um, yeah, my, my wife and I right now are working through going back and trying to you know, refresh our, our understanding of it um, just for that reason. At the same time, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's good for children. Um, many parents find value in using the catechism to guide how they instruct their children. Um, uh, you know, it's so easy for us to you know, if we, we want to teach our children our, the, 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 the truths of our faith, um, and yet where do we start and, you know, where do we draw the line? Where do we, you know, get carried away? Uh, the catechism provides that framework of how we might instruct our children. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's a useful tool for those who are just beginning to investigate not just Reformed theology, but the Christian faith itself. Um, you know, I, as I've thought about it, especially today, if we were to invite somebody to have faith in Jesus, well, who is Jesus? Um, who is God? Um, I think we need something more to help them really understand the commitments, you know, we're asking them to make and the provisions and the promises that we are claiming to be true. Um, I, th- I think walking somebody through the, the, the catechism who may not yet be a believer would be a wonderful way of letting them know the comprehensive nature of the faith that they're being asked to embrace. Um, I, I think it's a tremendous tool uh, for that original context in which I found myself sitting across a table at a Starbucks with a young man that wants to know more about what he believes and how to give expression to it. Um, and, you know, if he hadn't moved away, we would have done so. Um, but, um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, um, and I, I just think it's broadly applicable, um, because we all need that centering and that grounding and often that renewal. Um, we lose our way. Um, we get, you know, led away by the latest internet controversy, and so we pour all our time into studying one aspect of, of, of theology because it makes us sound sharper on the internet or, you know, we can make sure we get arguments right. And I think the catechism helps broaden that out. It's this broad lake of, um, of essential truth that we can just kind of sink down in and be embraced by. Well, one thing I thought about a lot as I read through your book is who this would be a useful book for. You know, I was I was thinking of even, you know, parents going through the catechism with their teenagers. Um, mm-hmm. You go through it as a as a family, you go through it on your own even. Um, mm-hmm. How but I want to know from you, 
how your book is meant to be used? Primarily, it's meant to be used um, in that mentoring kind of setting in my brain, okay? Often, some of the sections I would write, um, the, the way I could write them is to envision myself writing to someone a letter and someone who has questions about this particular topic, whatever it happened to be at the time, I could see it being used. Um, so, you know, helpfully if just assigning, you know, meeting with somebody and each, you know, two people read the same section and they sit down and discuss the questions and, and uh, you know, whatever application might flow from it just as a, as a part of, of, of that relationship. So I see it primarily being used in that kind of setting, but I could also see it being very fruitful for somebody just using it devotionally. Um, I've tried to make it so it is accessible. It's not overwhelming. Um, you know, part of it was a challenge to try to keep each entry under 500 words. I failed um, 69 out of 70 times. Um, but um, nevertheless, we tried to keep each section um, you know, limited in, in space and scope so that someone might take the op- if they were reading it just on their own, it would be a wonderful you know, daily kind of reading and reflection. Well, I found it to be very accessible. I was chuckling at the the struggle of trying to keep writing <laughs> you know, to, to a limit. I remember being in high school and college and thinking, how can I write two pages on this? Oh my goodness, yes. And I'm like, how can I keep it to two pages? Yeah. On this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I noticed in reading your book that you divided the book into, into two sections. You mm-hmm. have what are we to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of us. Uh, why did you choose that format for the book? Well, that's the format that the catechism chooses. And um, as it, uh, you know, it, the catechism says that the scriptures principally teach those two things, what we're to believe and, and what duty flows out of that belief. Um, uh, but, you know, I have structured the book, I think, in a slightly different way in the sense that what we are to believe concerning God could also be stated as this is how God loves us. This is how God loves his people. And the duty God requires of man, you know, is really, this is how we love God. Um, We love him because he first loved us. And so in my mind, I'm following the catechism's own divisions. But I think in essence, the essential nature of those divisions is one of God's loving us first. And through our obedience, through our prayer, through our engagement with his church, through our our our, under, our our participation in the sacraments. This is how we love him in return. One of the things, and this is something that I hear a lot, especially from women. Um, mm-hmm. I hear it. I hear it in my group. We have a lot of people that shy away from theology, mm-hmm. or they feel like theology really isn't useful, or it's divisive. You know, you have all sorts of things, and they're not sure it's practical or why why is it important. Why is theology good, and why should we study it? You know, it's a, a great question um, because I understand. I understand the question. I understand the 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 sentiment. I understand the fear um, that you know theology, by its very nature, is boring, and particularly that theology is divisive. And you know, yes. Theology 
you know, can be boring. So can, you know, so can baseball, you know, and theology can be divisive and, you know, because it's misused. Um, it is, but if, if, we, if we think of it simply as a way of coming to understand God and what he has done, um, and, and, you know, it is, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I've, I've written the book trying to keep in mind those who've been hurt by the church, those who have encountered um, problematic um, should I say theological presentations? Um, I, I, you know, I, I think part of the nature just of where I'm coming from, having been a pastor for 35 years, is I've heard lots of questions, lots of uncertainties, a lot of anger, a lot of frustrations, a lot of disappointment, um, and you know, the you know theology mishandled can feed those things. But at the same time, I've stood by or sat by the bedside of people whose lives were leaving them or those who have been greatly, you know, a child has died or for some other reason have been, that's not the time to teach somebody theology. That's not the time we learn theology. It's the theology that we have learned that gives us the strength and the grounding and the footing to endure those times and to see hope on the other side of them. So I can think of little that's as practical as theology. And I think it's important to understand as well that the catechism is not just things to know about God, but it, is, it also spends quite a bit of time pondering what it means for us to live as children of God. And that's eminently practical. Um, you know, how do we pray? What should be the content of our prayer? Uh, what does it really mean that we not lie? What does it really mean that we um, should, you know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? I mean, those are eminently practical things, and they're they're worth digging into, and 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 they can be full of joy. I mean, that's the other thing I want to communicate. Um, you know, uh, the goal, the end the end game, so to speak, of God's labor on our behalf is that we would enjoy him forever. Um, and, you know, joy is delight. Joy is happiness. Joy is contentment. And I can't think of anything that we long for more than, than that. So, yeah, I, I think it's a rich feast, and, and again, I can hear, you know, I can hear people responding, thinking, yeah, it's a rich feast for you because you're a preacher with a theological degree. And I, I get that. But honestly, I don't see myself as a theologian. I see myself as a Christian hungering after God and finding these truths as they are uh, articulated and expressed, um, satisfying that hunger. Um, so... Again, I don't know if that's helpful, but that is the, um, I, I, I think it's eminently practical. I, I think that's very helpful. And I think maybe sometimes when people think about theology, they think of very detailed aspects of the Trinity or, right. or things like that. And um, when I first started learning theology, 
and was intro- introduced to the White Horse Inn radio show, and they started out every show, know what you believe and why you believe it. And Michael Horton has a quote that is something like, I don't have in front of me, but something like, you know, some people say, but I just love Jesus. And mm-hmm. he says, but who is Jesus and why do you love him? Right. One thing I think, and I, I want our listeners to know regarding your book specifically, is I think that's one thing that that you're able to do is kind of bring out that practical, useful to our everyday lives part of theology and the catechism. Well, thank you. I mean, that's what I've tried to do. Um, and I've also tried to do it with a sense of grace, um, which is very important to me as well. Uh, you know, I realize anytime I start um, teaching in any way, writing about commandments, for example, I'm going to be speaking to people whose, whose lives have run um, counter to those commandments. And again, for me, that's the beauty of the catechism, which has helped us understand that our, our standing before God is rooted in the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. And so, as we talk through those commandments, in the very specific and practical ways we can be obedient, the person who realizes that he or she has left those commandments undone or violated them in very dramatic ways has the foundation and the ground to know that that she's loved, um, that there is a God who forgives. And I, I genuinely hope that spirit comes through the book as well, because some of us carry around um, these, these, you know, we, we know what we're supposed to do, and man, we know we haven't done it, or we know what we're not supposed to do, and there's this glaring example of us having violated that. And you know, all the way along, we need to know that there is a there is a promise of of God's love and for favor and forgiving grace rooted in the in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Very helpful, and and your your pastoral heart comes through very clearly in the in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your concern, both your love for the subject, but also your love for people, comes across mm-hmm. in your writing, uh, which is another reason uh, we really recommend your book. Thank you. So it will be an encouragement, I think, to others. One of the things that you talked about in the book that I, I would love to hear you talk about some more here is how does the study of the catechism and theology reorient our beliefs about who God is and what God does? Thinking about like what Colleen said, Michael Horton's like, who is this Jesus? Yeah. So you say you yeah. love him. Who is he? Yeah. Right? So yeah. along those lines, how does studying the catechism inform our beliefs? Yeah, well, I think I, you know, I have ideas on that and it's, you know, um, it's funny, um, Michael Horton may have been thinking of similar things as I, in the sense that I, when when the Promise Keepers movement was huge um, for men, and I'd have men come back to my church and say, you know, you know, wow, I just, you know, don't need to worry about theology. I just love Jesus. You know, I had the same response. As soon as you utter the word Jesus, you've uttered a theological statement because you have some understanding, or you 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 have some understanding of what lies behind that. And um, it's easy, very easy for us to, um, especially these days with um, you know the internet and the accessibility of just you know I, when somebody tells me that they've had a question about a subject and they researched it on the internet, I panic. Um, because there's a lot of good stuff out there, and then there's a, a lot of heretical and cultish stuff out there. 
And so I think the catechism does drive those stakes in the ground to say, this is historic Christianity. Um, you know, this is, this is what, this is the faith once delivered to the saints, um, preserved and, and, uh, and carried down from person to person. Um, and, uh, and this is the, what we have received. And so it sets those boundaries. Um, yeah, sometimes um, we can get lost in controversy or we can, you know, some of us, you know, you know, I think I haven't written so much for um, those that are attracted to controversy. I have not written for those who are, um, who, for whom theology is a hobby. Um, and, I, and I really, I, I don't mean that as a detrimental thing. For some, they just, you know, some people really do enjoy getting into those intricate um, um, questions of what the Trinity is, for example, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've, I've written for those who sometimes hear those things, um, begin to feel like that is what theology is. They certainly can't understand any of it and just want to run away from it. Um, I think we need, you know, an accessible resource that reawakens them to its possibilities. I don't know if that's getting to your question at all, but... Um, oh, no, it does. I was, I was trying to remember the, the quote or the section of your book you talked about. It's like when we're like making God in our own image, I yeah. think was something about like when God just reflects everything we believe in and, you know, he never disagrees with us. And <laughs> but, yeah. And, and, and there are other times where, um, yeah, we, again, I, 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 I guess I can confess this. I mean, I will sometimes read the scriptures and really get angry at God. I'll read scriptures. I'll see things in the scriptures that I really don't like that. Uh, I don't understand it, no doubt. But, you know, my initial response is, um, wow, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. Um, and, you know, I want to assure people, you know, that's okay. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure if I got to know you guys real well, there'd be things about you that I wouldn't like as much. And if you got to know me real well, there would be aspects of me that you wouldn't like as much. And I think sometimes there are things about God and in our initial impression that we struggle with and we have uncertainties about, and it's, it's hard for us to, to, to grasp it. Um, well, that probably means that we have not created him in our own image, that we are, um, that we acknowledge that he is different than we are. Um, what I have to do in such a setting is, again, take the entire scope of his revelation, and, and that's, again, what I think is beautiful about a confessional statement like the catechism, take those, um, those essential attributes of what are true about him and the gospel, and and uh, understand out of that big picture that, yeah, there are some things I don't understand, but the, 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 the tenor and direction and impact of the whole um, is a place that I can find rest. I'd like to know if you have a favorite catechism question <laughs> answer, and maybe as part of that, a section in this book that you particularly enjoyed writing. Oh, wow. Um, that's, yeah, the... I've had others ask that question about the favorite. There's no question. There, there's no uncertainty in my mind. And uh, I'm, I, I, I never quote anything without it being in front of me um, because my memory is, is that uh, fallible. But 
It's question and answer 38, if I might read it to you. Um, the question 38 is the final one in this first section of what we are to believe concerning God. And it is the logical conclusion of the first question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that outlines the trajectory of our lives. And so the question is, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? And here the catechism is talking about the end of time, the resurrection of the body that we, we see articulated and developed so clearly in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So, you know, after we have died, at, you know, and at the end of time when Christ returns and the dead are raised in him, here's what it says, in the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. Okay, first of all, that's a declaration of you're innocent. You know, all that guilt we feel, Christ took it. It's gone. Ours is the righteousness of Christ. So we've openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment, you know, all the worries taken away and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. And it's that phraseology of of enjoying God for all eternity. Um, to me, that is the, the most beautiful terminus uh, for any life that's worth living, is that we will be, in at some point in time, brought into the eternal presence of God. And there, everything we have longed for, everything we've hoped for, everything that we have desired will be completely and fully experienced for all eternity. So I, I think there was a second part of your question. Oh, um, so anyway, that's my, that's my favorite because it defines for me where this is all going. And I think it's particularly necessary in you know, time of pandemic and other such things that are going on. Um, God is in control and this is where it ends. Um, what did I enjoy, uh, you know, writing? I love, you know, I, that's hard to say because I wrote this over a couple of years. Um, and so, uh, in, in, but, you know, I, I'm, I, I particularly, um, the, the very last chapter on prayer uh, as, the, as the catechism um, invites us to explore the depth and significance of the Lord's Prayer, um, just to think about the privilege that prayer is and and, and just what it means, um, that, was, that was fruitful for me. And, um, you know, my fear as an unconfident uh, writer is that people will give up on me about page 20 and they'll never get to that section. Um, so if, you're, you know, if somebody picks it up and is tempted to give up at page 20, go read the section on prayer. At least get that out of it. Um, but I, I also felt very good about the section on the resurrection because I think there are lots of books um, out there that defend the resurrection, uh, prove the resurrection, try to give the historic grounding for the resurrection, and all of those are extremely important and very valuable. Um, I tried to look at what is the significance of knowing the resurrection uh, to an individual believer. And, and as I pondered that, I just realized the resurrection is that historic event 
on which we really rest so much of our faith. Paul says, if Christ is still in the grave, then our faith is futile. And um, so that gave me the opportunity to acknowledge that many Christians struggle with doubt. I'm sure a lot of your listeners struggle with doubt. Is this really true? Does God really exist? Um, is, is what Jesus says really believable? Um, and uh, so the section on the resurrection gave me an opportunity to say, this is, this is where those questions ultimately drive us. So I enjoyed that part. And, and that's one thing I, I was thinking about, that there's a lot of comfort in, in going through the shorter catechism. And um, I think this is just very helpful. I wanted to mention, because I neglected to mention in the beginning, that this book is released on November 6th. And I online had checked several different um, places where you order books, Amazon and some others, and they do have it available for pre-order pre-order is always great because then you kind of get those first copies. Um, a lot of times they send it so you get it on the release date. So I'm going to link um, where you can buy it in the episode notes. Uh, one thing I wasn't sure and I, I didn't see when I had searched around, is this going to be available on Kindle? They tell me it will be. I was okay. wondering that this morning, but Christian Focus says, yes, it will be available in an e-format. Okay, great. We have some people like me that um, like to, I, my husband and I travel in our motorhome a lot and I bring two Kindles with me. <laughs> so I have hundreds of books at my fingertips. Um, that's great. And I really do just want to, as a last encouragement to our listeners, really encourage getting this book. Um, it's going to be very helpful in, in going through the catechism and not, I know some of our listeners who are new to theology um, sometimes are concerned that something's going to be overwhelming, too much for them. But this, this book in particular, I think really is useful for just about anybody. And it's not going to be one of those, you know, we're, we're not throwing Calvin's Institutes at you that, you know, is maybe a little bit more overwhelming to go through. So may I add, I mean, this is going to sound self-promoting, but I think it's important to say it's not dumbed down either. Right. That's true. Okay. That's I mean, true. I, I think it's important that it's, I've tried to say what is essential and within those t word, you know, the, the word count constraints. Um, but it is, it's, I hope, substantive as well. And Absolutely. Um, so I just want to encourage your readers to, to know that. Yeah, and that's why I think it's really useful for anyone. If you've been a Christian a long time and you've gone through the um, catechism before, I, I think this is useful for you. If you're somebody that's new to studying theology or newly Reformed, it's going to be useful for you also. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It really is an honor. I appreciate it. <laughs>